Greetings and welcome to the InvestNet second quarter 2023 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A brief question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. It is now my pleasure to introduce your host, Mr. Pete Dorigo, CFO. Mr. Dorigo, you may begin. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us on today's second quarter 2023 earnings call. Before we begin, I'd like to point out that our earnings press release, supplemental presentation, and associated form 10-Q can be found under the Investor Relations section of our website at investnet.com. This call is being webcast live, and a replay will be available for one month under the Investor Relations section of our website as well. During the call, we will be discussing certain forward-looking information. This information is based on our current expectations and is not a guarantee of future performance. I encourage you to review the cautionary statements on slides two and three of the supplemental presentation for the potential risks, uncertainties, and other factors that could cause actual results to differ from those expressed by the forward-looking statements. Further information can be found in our regular SEC filings. During this call, we will be referring to certain non-GAAP financial measures. Please refer to the appendix in our supplemental presentation for a reconciliation of these non-GAAP financial measures to the most directly comparable GAAP measures. Joining me on today's call is Bill Krager, InvestNet's Chief Executive Officer. Bill and I will provide a company update as well as an overview of the company's second quarter 2023 results. After our prepared remarks, we will open the call to questions. During the Q&A, please limit yourself to one question plus one follow-up. You may get back into the queue if you have additional questions. With that, I will turn the call over to Bill. Thank you, Pete, and thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. InvestNet is executing on its strategic plan that creates differentiated value for our customers and will continue to drive long-term value for our shareholders with industry-leading scale and operating efficiency. We're on the path we set forth for driving sustained revenue growth and margin expansion. In the second quarter, we posted adjusted revenue of $312.5 million, adjusted EBITDA of $57.8 million, and adjusted EPS of $0.46. Cents. We have intentionally invested, and today we are seeing the benefit of the integrated ecosystem. This is the future of our business. It has deepened our competitive advantage, deepened our relationships with our clients and our partners, and the investments are scaling our bottom line. Pete will go into greater detail in his remarks, so let me spend a few moments on what we, as the largest scaled player in wealth tech, are seeing in the market and within our business. The wealth tech market is rapidly moving, and InvestNet has been ahead of the curve and investing in the environment and scale necessary to capture more of the economic opportunity. We've been exactly right in our focus of modernizing and expanding our ecosystem of intelligent data, integrated technology, networked to the broadest set of solutions. We're becoming more essential to our partners, driving their growth and productivity while creating more distance from our competitors. As industry consultant Joel Bruckenstein told Investment News in May, people underestimate how challenging it is to build something like InvestNet. 
InvestNet has finally made major strides bringing together all of their silos. I don't think anybody else is close. I'd like to share an example of how this is playing out in the market and how it will benefit our clients and shareholders in the future. A client of ours, a broker-dealer independent financial group, which has $40 billion of assets and hundreds of advisors, has contracted to use the entirety of our platform and ecosystem of InvestNet solutions. This includes all of our platforms and services, our data and analytics, our complete suite of financial planning technology, our investment solutions and related technologies, and our broader network of exchanges. This is a great example of the value created by putting the pieces of InvestNet together into an integrated environment. And it expands our revenue opportunity to clients that go all in with us by about 25% before factoring the uptake of additional asset management and fiduciary solutions. We're getting more of these types of engagements in our renewal pipeline. Sure, not every client will use every InvestNet solution, but more and more are engaging deeply with our capabilities, providing continued and accelerated revenue opportunities for us. The headline for InvestNet is that we are leveraging the investments we've made, we're growing market share, while benefiting from a stronger Q2 market. But the market benefit was neutralized by overall challenging industry net flow environment, and our DNA research business has faced significant headwinds, but we are on the path to stabilization and restoration in this business. Tonight, we'll focus our prepared remarks to talk about the industry and market context, and what it means in terms of revenue growth, and why we are optimistic for the trajectory of our business. We'll spend time on the DNA business to explain the dynamics, the challenges we're facing, and the progress the business is making to restore growth over the current coming months. And importantly, we'll spend time on expenses. We're very focused on managing our bottom line, driving margin expansion and cash flow, and we'll discuss how we will exit 2023 as investments flow through to productivity and scale, resulting in greater profitability. Our wealth business is building share in an environment of stubbornly low net industry asset flows, a headwind that's carried over from 2022. We continue to execute, and we're doing what we said we would do, putting us in a powerful position just as the wealth market accelerates to the more integrated environment that we had predicted. There's real pressure on other participants in the space today as we move ahead into areas of significant impact, like data intelligence, while others are trying to solve problems that are scaled areas of advantage for us. InvestNet drives, and we benefit from, strong secular tailwinds that are powering the industry in the quarters and years ahead. Increasing demand for financial advice, growth of independent advisor channels, fee-based and managed accounts, and UMAs. These are the growth engines for the industry. In all industry segments, which also includes technology-enabled offerings and more and more industry utilization of data and insights, the market is moving in our direction. We are capitalizing by gaining share. In the second quarter, our net flows from AOM&A were $10 billion, representing an organic asset growth rate of 5%. These flows are very healthy, especially in the context of the broader industry. For example, long-term mutual fund and ETF flows across the industry 
were essentially flat once again in Q2, and multiple wealth firms reported seeing low investor buying activity given the debt ceiling overhang and other factors, a trend that seemed most pronounced among high net worth investors. Looking at our annualized organic growth rates for public companies that have reported so far, the average growth was between 1% and 5% compared to our 5% organic growth. I think it's very useful to look at longer-term trends regarding flows for some added perspective. Looking at our AUM net flows compared to those of the managed account industry overall, we've gained 70 basis points of share in the last few years. Compared to our publicly traded TAM peers, our AUM and A flows in dollars have been about seven times larger than their combined flows over the last three years. These types of flows get reflected in more activity by more advisors utilizing more of our services. In the second quarter, the number of accounts on our platform grew 5% year over year to 18.7 million, and AUM and A accounts grew 7% year over year per advisor. The outperformance of the industry in flows and the growth activity on the platform are leading indicators of our business. Over the last couple of years, assets, accounts, and advisors are all up in our higher margin tax, direct indexing, and high net worth solutions. Active advisors selling these solutions have grown 61% over the last 18 months. In tandem, the gross profit is projected to grow by 26% from 22 to 23, and over the next few years, we expect a 40% CAGR for these solutions. As industry asset flows normalize, there's an important dynamic at play for us. The share gains, account, and advisor growth will translate to accelerated revenue growth. The revenue story for InvestNet is grounded in these higher margin solutions and data and technology-enabled adoption and cross-sell. Over time, we see fee rates expanding as we cross-sell more solutions. Let me share a few examples of this in practice. The promise of data in the wealth business is paying off. It is a leading capability for us, a differentiator, and it drives longer-term flows to higher margin solutions. Our enterprise-wide reporting solution, which aggregates both managed and held-away accounts and generates them into opportunities, has meaningfully increased its pipeline into double-digit millions while launching two firms this quarter with over $35 billion of assets collectively. The InvestNet Wealth Data offering provides tremendous value by creating more visibility across more assets that ultimately will use our platform to be managed assets. The industry has taken notice. Our Insight Engine was named the best AI-based solution for financial services at the AI Breakthrough Award. An important use case is one of our leading clients who plans to share an additional $150 billion in off-platform assets through the data platform by the end of the year. This allows InvestNet to consolidate more assets and drive more cross-sell opportunities. From a financial standpoint, every 10% of these assets we convert represents a roughly $9 million gross profit opportunity for InvestNet assuming a six basis point net fee. We're also working closely with our asset manager and client partners to drive mutually beneficial outcomes. The Insights Engine identifies engagement strategies for over $1 trillion of brokerage to manage and advisor as portfolio manager opportunities on our platform. 
We're working with partners and their distribution teams to maximize this opportunity. For every $100 billion of brokerage to manage flows, that equates to roughly $60 million of gross profit to investment, assuming a six basis point net fee. We continue to innovate and connect all the pieces of investment together to drive greater productivity and growth for the firms and advisors who use our platform. Our modernized proposal tool is connected to the entire ecosystem of solutions, including PMC, portfolios, and services, it's connected to our exchanges, tax and FSP overlay, and analytics. This has opened more and more opportunities, and we see that client firms have turned on 25% more of these solutions this year versus the prior year. We continue to make progress on unique custody options through our partnership with FNZ. We talked a lot about this and the benefit it will provide our clients with an option for a more digital environment and capturing the economics of cash through this partnership fills the gap we have had and creates a long-term benefit for InvestNet and our shareholders. As we've integrated the ecosystem, it is accelerating our pipeline, driving value for our clients and creating bundling and pricing opportunities for InvestNet. Our strategy, and more importantly, our execution, is working in the marketplace. We've created the most seamless operating system, networked to the broadest set of solutions with digital and data-driven engagement tools. It's increasing client engagement, helping them be more productive, which drives more cross-sell and assets on the InvestNet platform. Now, let's spend a few moments on the data and analytics business. As I spoke about just a few moments ago, what we have created in the wealth market is competitively unique, is being well-received and adopted, and is foundational to the long-term advantage as we serve the industry. While other participants in the space work to figure out and build feature sets and configurability, things that we have long delivered at scale to our customers, we are able to move to AI-driven insights that drive greater adoption for our vast set of solutions. That said, in the non-wealth parts of the data business, we continue to see challenges, particularly in our data research business. This has been a resilient headwind for us. An increasingly competitive market, coupled with a decline in the quality of users in our data set, has pressured revenue in the business for several quarters. We indicated we would experience weakness in the first half of 2023, with stabilization coming in the second half of the year. We've been focused and purposeful on restoring our data sets. We've made significant progress and we'll be back in a position of strength with the best quality, the best quantity of data that we've ever seen. Those data sets are in production and we're testing with clients and will be live by the end of this year. This is why we feel good that the business is stabilizing and leading to stronger interest in higher renewals and pricing. The remainder of the year should have promising bookings for this business that will point to restoration of the revenue in 2024 and beyond. Next, I'd like to provide some thoughts around expenses and reiterate our conviction in achieving a 25% adjusted EBITDA margin in 2025. In 2022, our adjusted EBITDA margin was 17.8%. In the first half of 2023, we expanded the margin by 90 basis points compared to the first half of 2022, despite macro headwinds. This performance has been driven by a combination of expense discipline and investments we have made to modernize our platform. In the back half of 2023, we expect to drive even stronger margin expansion, helped by incremental efficiency initiatives. 
For the full year of 2023, we're now expecting to generate margin expansion of 270 basis points, which is at the midpoint of our guidance range, putting us at around 20.5% for the year. On the expense side, the key takeaway is that we've exited the investment cycle and are focused on managing all expenses, which include personnel, vendors, G&A costs. While not wavering from our key strategic initiatives, client support, and product delivery commitments. As our investments take root, here are the specific expense actions we've taken and will continue to enact. Our onshore headcount is lower year-to-date by 5%. As we noted last quarter, we've taken action by restructuring, combining teams, now joined by the unified technology work that we've done. And we've been very judicious about selected hires. We've reduced the first half real estate occupancy spend by 27% and marketing by 33% as we use data and analytics to more efficiently target our efforts. Both areas are targeted for additional efficiency in the second half of the year. In total, adjusted expenses are down 3% in the first half of 2023 with 7% year over year reductions targeted in the second half of the year. All of this equates to full year adjusted expenses excluding costs of revenue, being down 5% year over year. The entire organization is focused on managing our expenses while making sure our priorities are fully aligned with the needs of our clients and drivers of financial results for the company. Looking beyond 2023, there is additional room to expand margins, and we are confident in revenue growth acceleration via our solutions and more normalized industry flows. Despite challenges in the market and in the non-wealth DNA segments, we continue to make considerable progress on our plan and remain committed to our 25% adjusted EBITDA margins in 2025. We have modernized our platform, expanded our solutions, connected the pieces of InvestNet, drive greater adoption and engagement from our clients. As we operate in this stage of our cycle, we continue to focus on our core strategy while we review areas that are non-core to the business. We're disciplined in our expense and capital allocation to accelerate our earnings and free cash flow in the coming quarters. I'd now like to turn the call over to Pete, who will provide details on this quarter's performance and our outlook for the rest of the year. Thank you, Bill. Our second quarter results provide evidence of how the business is progressing through this phase of our investments. As expected, we are seeing margins expand compared to 2022, while we are effectively managing our expenses. While the macro economy performed well in the quarter, the wealth industry continued to experience dampened flows, while advisors and firms remained cautious during this recovery. Our expectations for 2023 were that the year was to be one of execution and delivery, with the anticipated result of margin expansion, which we are demonstrating. Further, as Bill described, we are continuing to see positive signs for future revenue growth in both segments. For the second quarter, revenue came in at the low end of our guidance range, adjusted EBITDA was above the high end of the range. Adjusted revenue was approximately $312.5 million, adjusted EBITDA was $57.8 million, while adjusted EPS was $0.46. Our guidance for Q3 and for the full year is laid out in the earnings release and in the supplemental presentation. Overall, the environment in Q2 continued to present challenges for clients and prospective clients, impacting both segments of our business as well as both asset-based and subscription revenue. 
While industry-wide flows remain under pressure, our wealth segment continued to experience positive net flows in our asset-based products, although the mix of flows has not been as favorable for our average fee rate. Our guidance for the rest of the year reduces our outlook for net flows and mix from what we had previously expected. At this point, these updated assumptions for the rest of the year are offsetting higher revenue from Q2 capital markets increases. We expect subscription revenue in the wealth segment to grow at mid to upper single digits organically for 2023. The data analytics segment had challenges in research as well as delays with bank and tech clients. The emerging wealth channel is showing positive signs, but is still a relatively smaller part of that segment. While we have lowered our DNA forecast for the rest of 2023, there are positive signs in the segment's bookings and client pipeline. For the third quarter, we expect adjusted revenue to be between $316 and $319 million, adjusted EBITDA to be between $64 and $66 million, and adjusted EPS to be between $52 and $0.54. Cents. For the full year, we are modifying our adjusted revenue guidance to be between $1,252,000,000 and $1,259,000,000, adjusted EBITDA to a range of $255 and $260,000,000, and adjusted EPS of $2.09 and $2.15. Our guidance, as always, does not assume any changes in the capital markets from prior quarter end and is based on market levels as of June 30th. Turning to the balance sheet, we ended March with $59 million in cash and debt of $913 million, making our net leverage ratio just below 3.9 times adjusted EBITDA. In June, we paid down the remaining $45 million outstanding on our 2023 convertible notes using our revolving credit facility. As of June 30th, only $20 million remained drawn on the revolver, and that $20 million has been paid down in July. We expect our high point for the leverage ratio to be March 31st of this year, dropping below 3.5 times EBITDA by the end of the year. We expect to continue to reduce our leverage ratio and improve our balance sheet with growing EBITDA going forward. One last point to note, we expect to see an increase in cash taxes paid in 2023 related to the legislative change eliminating the immediate deductibility of research and development expenses effective for tax year 2022. We'll have an estimated payment in Q3 of approximately $13 million, which is higher than our quarterly expectation going forward in the near future. We paid cash taxes of around 2 to $3 million quarterly over recent years, and we expect that to go up to 4 to $6 million quarterly for the near term. Again, all related to this legislative change from 2022. Thank you again for your support of InvestNet. Before we open it up for Q&A, I'll turn it back to Bill for his final remarks. Thank you, Pete. InvestNet is executing on our strategic plan. We're on the path we set forth for driving sustained revenue growth and margin expansion, while creating greater demand and engagement from our clients and a significant competitive advantage in the marketplace. We continue to gain share with industry-leading flows and are addressing the challenges in the data research business. We will continue to be laser-focused on our expenses and have confidence in the revenue upside through our network of solutions, data, and technology. As always, I'd like to thank every member of the InvestNet team. Hard work, dedication to our clients, industry-leading innovation, these are the hallmarks of a great organization, and I'm appreciative every day for your excellence. And to our clients, 
Thank you for the trust you put in us and the partnership to drive greater growth for your business and better outcomes for your clients. It is extraordinary what we are doing together. Now I'll hand it back to the operator for questions. Thank you. We will now be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate that your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. One moment, please, while we pull for questions. Thank you. And our first question comes from the line of Michael Cho with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed with your question. Hi, Bill and Pete. Good evening, and uh, thanks for taking my question here. Um, my, my first question, I, I just wanted to touch on um, kind of the industry flow trends that, that you highlighted. So, um, you know, you, you talked about kind of that sentiment leading into into investment as well. I guess, and, and really carrying on from from 2022. I guess, in in your mind and, and from your seat, I mean, what what do you think is is, is prolonging that that friction in the space and for investment as well in terms of kind of industry um, advisor and AUM flows? And, and really, what what causes it to normalize from here? And and, and what does normalize mean um, in in your mind? Yep. Uh, Thank you, Michael. Hope, hope you're doing well. Um, it, it, it has been a stubborn, I think, in my in, in my prepared remarks, I used the word stubborn, and it's been a very stubborn uh, dynamic. And yeah, the first half of the year has been a healthy uh, first half for the capital markets. But as you know, it's been pretty narrow, right? So uh, the, the the leaders of the market are concentrated in a couple of uh, you know stocks and and uh, so that the broader market really hasn't participated along with that, that narrow group. And, you know, what's been interesting, because whenever we've had a, a healthier market, it correlates to, you know, increased flows, in, increased uh, account openings, and uh, that has not been the case uh, this time. And, you know, I think it, it goes back and it really tells you very clearly that, um, you know, th there's an alternative out there, and that alternative are yield assets, whether that's cash, uh, fixed income, you know, the, the, the yields are higher uh, with, a, with, a, with a higher interest rate. We spend a lot of time focused on, you know, the industry data. And the industry data, you know, Q2, uh, ICI, mutual fund, ETF data, you're, you're negative in 2Q, which is surprising given, given the health of the, the, you know, the overall market or the returns of the over the headline return of the overall market. And we dig in, we look at a lot of survey data, and, um, you know, surveys particularly around the high net worth category are even uh, more deeply negative. Um, and then you dig in and you look at some of the public comps that we, uh, that we uh, study, whether that's a wealth management firm or whether that's a, um, an asset management firm, and those uh, growth rates have been really uh, kind of suppressed. So... You know, it, 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 it's, this is not an investment issue. It's an industry um, issue. Uh, I speak to a lot of uh, leaders in the business, uh, whether leading asset management firms, wealth management firms, and, you know, there's some head rubbing out there on, okay, what is that catalyst? How, do, how does it begin to turn? I think it turns, Michael, as you broaden out the participation in the overall market. 
Um, and there's, you know, the, the, the rate overhangs there. The question, uh, you know, the, 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 the government's uh, debt issue was there in the quarter. You've got, um, you've got, uh, you know, kind of this recessionary overhang that certain banks are continue to, 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 to talk about. And so there's a risk off. You've got an alternative in cash. And uh, you need to broaden out the participation uh, of, of market uh, in the market for the uh, flows to, to respond. All of that said, I look at how InvestNet has performed, and I'm looking at you know our orga overall organic growth rate, which is at the upper tier of any firm that we uh, really take a close look at. And then I look particularly in some of these higher value uh, services. And yes. They're not meeting our expectation as to what we thought when the market began to turn that would be uh, a quicker restoration towards flows, but we're doing really well there. We've enrolled or have active advisors over the last 18 months of 61% growth in number of advisors using these solutions. And, you know, if I, if I dig in and I look at each of these types of capabilities, the direct index uh, uh, capability, for instance, you know, 41% growth in assets, 26% accounts, 47% in advisors, um, uh, year-to-date or year-over-year growth rates. That, that's impressive. And so we're, we're chipping away. We're doing what we're doing. I think we're, we're at the upper tier of the growth in, in, in the flows uh, in the industry. And returning back to the conversations I have with, you know, the asset manager partners who distribute with us, you know, a lot of the feedback is that we continue to lead. You know, when they look at the flow rates that are coming into uh, different environments across the wealth industry, InvestNet is, is, has performed uh, probably at the top tier of those types of, uh, types of opportunities or distribution points for the asset manager community. Um, you know, it, it's on a comparative basis that we're doing well. It's not on the, uh, on the uh, actual basis compared to what uh, we were hopeful as the market began to restore, you'd see a, a restoration of flows. Great. No, thank, thank you for that, Bill. Um, and, and I guess just for my follow-ups, kind of switch gears on, on the other um, side of business, on, on your DNA business, I, I appreciate all the, the commentary there and, and some of the near-term puts and takes you, you walk through. Um, so I'm just kind of curious what, what you're hearing from, from clients as well. I mean, is, is it kind of clients kind of delaying purchasing decisions or just is it really just a matter of product pipeline? And um, just kind of curious on, 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 again, from your seat in terms of what you're hearing from clients and sentiment there for the for investments products. Great. Thank you, Michael. I'll spend a minute on, on, the, on the DNA business and I'll, I'll kind of walk through kind of what we're seeing. In the wealth market with our wealth data product, there's high demand, there's a deep pipeline, there are really good bookings, there's good adoption. And, and firms that are adopting, particularly in this brokerage to manage where we're, we're, we're looking at kind of the firm's broadest set of data and we're moving assets into, uh, beginning to move assets into more managed account environments, those firms are, uh, you know, top tier growers for us. Uh, it, it, it's having an effect and that effect is great data to return back to the, uh, to our, to the marketplace and say, hey, firms that are using this are growing at a faster rate. Here, here are some numbers. And, and so we real, we're very bullish there. Um, and, and again, I'd reiterate that the pipeline's strong and the bookings are strong. The usage as it goes up is driving a faster result for our clients. So we're, we're, we're very enthusiastic about the wealth data uh, offering. 
The bank market, as you know, has had a tough, very difficult uh, first half of the year. There's some delays on a particular client deployment, and that's impacted uh, our outlook for uh, the rest of the year. Um, and then in the, in the uh, fintech market, uh, particularly the, the larger fintech-type uh, companies which utilize our verification business, there's lower volume, and that's also had an impact and impacts our outlook for the rest of the year. The real challenge, though, uh, I'll put a circle around the research business. And in that research business, what we do is we uh, de-identify data, we, use, uh, we look at underlying consumer activity, uh, separated from, you know, uh, separated into kind of generic data sets. We share that with a uh, universe of uh, asset managers who utilize that to help understand momentum or uh, activity for a particular company. Uh, it's been a very useful capability and something that we, uh, you know, really innovated in that space and we're a leader in that space. But over the years, there's been competition. And the competition began to match our data set and in fact, our data set was degrading over the last couple of years, uh, given, given uh, you know, uh, the, the, the data makeup and the characteristic makeup that we were able to, to utilize and, and share with our, uh, our research clients. Um, that said, so that's been a focus of ours. A focus of ours has been to restore that data set, to improve it, and to uh, create a characteristic set that was once again unique and uh, preferenced or, 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 you know, kind of uh, more competitive than, than what was in the marketplace. That can't happen overnight. It happens over quarters. And I would tell you that as we get to this year versus the beginning of the year to when we end the year, a contracted, in the door, uh, being processed and be, beginning to be shared with our uh, research uh, data clients is a data set that has profoundly uh, been enhanced. Uh, in, in, the, in the many, many, many millions of users and many, many, many millions of characteristics that have real value because of geographic reasons, because of um, demographic reasons. And um, it is now, I believe, the, the high watermark for the quality of data that we're able to provide to our research clients and the high watermark for the, uh, the quantity of data that we'll be able to share with our research uh, clients. So. That doesn't solve the short-term, uh, you know, revenue uh, headwind that we faced in the first half of the year. Um, I believe, you know, over the last couple of earnings calls, I, I've, I've called out that the first half was going to be weak and that we'd begin to see stabilization and restoration as we got to the back half of the year. Uh, I'm reiterating that outlook, that the first half of the year was, was uh, you know, was a challenge in that research business, but that now, as we've, uh, you know, acquired, processed, beginning to share that uh, level of data with our research clients, we believe that that business will be stabilized and that towards the end of the year, we'll start to see a restoration in the revenue for that research business. I hope that's helpful. Thanks, Thanks Bill. Appreciate it. Thank you. And our next question is from Devin Ryan with JMP Securities. Please proceed with your question. Hey, Devin, how are you? Hey, good, Bill. How are you? Hey, Pete. Um, I guess first question, just, you know, kind of hitting on expenses. And, um, you know, if I look at the guidance for the third quarter, I think it implies for the fourth quarter something like $0.64 cents to $0.70 cents, um, for fourth quarter EPS. And so it implied pretty nice 
step up um, in EPS from the third quarter. And so it sounds like that's expense-driven primarily. And so I just trying to think about some of the moving parts there. So there's kind of two things going on. There's uh, these efficiencies you're driving, but then I think there's also a little bit of timing or seasonal dynamics. So just trying to think about the the kind of pieces to getting to a better expense level at the end of the year based on some of the things you said, and then maybe it's a little bit earlier, but just thinking about a jumping off point for 2024, just given that expenses are obviously in focus. Yeah, so this is uh, this is Pete. Thanks, Devin. Um, the, you, you've, you've caught kind of the highlights on the expense side. Um, it's not entirely expense-driven. There is some, some uh, revenue growth assumptions that, that kind of meet sort of our ongoing uh, growth um, uh, trajectory, although we've, we've obviously pulled things down a little bit from what our prior expectations were. But, yeah, on the expense side, it's a couple of things. It's, it's, it's the activities that, we've, that Bill mentioned that, that is going to kind of lower our run rate, and then there is that seasonality aspect uh, where we typically see uh, the, the uh, fourth quarter come in a little bit lower, and then probably in Q1 comes in a little bit higher, uh, but still a, a general run rate is going to be significantly lower um, um, compared to where we have been in uh, 2022. So um, I'll let Bill get into the higher level yeah, and strategy of that. Right. So, Devin, um, so a couple of things that will happen between now and the end of the year, you know, we've kind of, uh, you know, we're factoring in the – um, the, the overall flow rates, and, and, and it's just not the flow rate, it's kind of the, the fee dynamic to that flow rate, wh where the assets are coming from and, and kind of what solutions they're, they're coming into, and, and that really uh, modified our, our guidance for the rest of the year. But there, there are real kind of uh, interesting and notable um, uh, revenue opportunities that, that will begin to come to fruition as we get to the, to the fourth quarter of the year. Um, included in that are how we're partnering with asset managers and, and pulling them in a little bit more closely to uh, the, 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 the engagement strategy that we have across the, the, the span of our business that will generate, uh, begin to generate uh, additional revenue, uh, high margin revenue as we get, get to 4Q. The other, the other dynamic as we get to 4Q on the, on the revenue side will be our partnership uh, with Empower uh, for the retirement business begins uh, towards uh, the end of the year. Um, so, so those are those are dynamics that 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 are kind of the pluses where uh, some of the headwinds uh, that we're we're factoring in on our guide are very much industry flow assumption that we've experienced in the first half of the year, and we don't want to be ahead of ahead of whenever that trend begins a transition. We're going to uh, be observers and say, hey, this is the overall uh, health of the, the marketplace, and then we'll, we'll modify to, to, uh, to make sure that we're in line with when uh, the restoration of flows uh, begins to happen. Uh, but but I, I, do, I do want to highlight or call out some of these other revenue opportunities that we, we see coming uh, before the end of the year, and then we'll be ongoing as we roll into 24. On the expense side, look, uh, this is a very focused organization. We're focused on a couple of things. One is that the wealth market, we believe that we are deeply establishing a competitive advantage given the integration work we've done and how we've injected the data into that environment 
to help power the growth and efficiency of our clients. So that, that's a big deal. And so the focus on the wealth market, we think, uh, creates material and long-term uh, competitive advantage for InvestNet to continue to win share and continue to grow. Uh, will power our growth. Uh, and, you know, connected to that is the, you know, the focus on the execution of strategy. A couple of years ago, we said this is where the industry is headed, and it is exactly where the industry is headed. It is a more integrated, holistic wealth environment, um, and, and, uh, and, and utilizing data technology and a connection to broader set of solutions, and that's exactly what we're delivering to our clients. Clients are reflecting that back to us, and they're utilizing us more in a holistic way. But the really very important, 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 is our focus on margin and expenses. And so we're, we're focused. Our priority list is pretty sharp. It's pretty tight. We're delivering on it. Um, and then when we look around the, the firm, uh, we're managing expenses in every corner to make sure that we are going to deliver on that 25% adjusted EBITDA by 2025. That's a high watermark that we believe that we can sustain from a profitability standpoint, and we're making progress. We're going to make progress this year, despite some of the headwinds, we're going to make, uh, uh, you know, important progress as well in 2024. We'll roll into 24 in a strong position to make that progress. Okay, uh, terrific. Thank you. And then just to follow up on, you know, some of the cross-sell opportunities, obviously you guys have been talking a lot about Insights Engine and, you know, it does seem like a differentiated offering and a win-win for, for both you and, and advisors and so, and, and ultimately clients as well. And so uh, I just, I'm just trying to think about the ability to really, I don't know, get more traction there to kind of accelerate the cross-sell opportunity. You know, is it just more an education aspect of just getting in front of folks and making sure they understand the, the capability? Because, again, it seems like it would sell itself, but at the same time, um, you know, how do you accelerate that growth and, and you know, how do you get it to, you know, another you know, step function higher, if you will? Yeah, that's awesome, Devin. And, you know, so there is, you know, I said it there when I was talking about the data business, high degree of interest in it, the pipeline's strong, the bookings are strong, and usage is beginning to, to, you know, usage is picking up, and as the usage picks up, you get some really great return data, meaning, you know, firms that are utilizing the, the Insight Engine are just growing faster than other firms. It's a great, you know, there's a great marketing story there, and it's an important one. It's, it's, it's fact-based and data-based, and so we're, we're excited about that. One of the things that we are also, and this is connected to another important, you know, focus of ours, which is pricing. And, you know, as we move forward on renewals for our clients and contracts, you will see the data Insight Engine bundled in with an increased fee uh, from a licensing standpoint on the licensing contracts uh, in, those, in, in those renewals. And, and so what we're doing is we're bundling that data into our base products, um, whether it's trading, rebalancing, reporting, et cetera, and the value add uh, for us is incremental higher uh, subs rate, but uh, the, the, the real kind of uh, objective there is to drive more and more usage of the data platform, which will drive more and more uh, kind of adoption of these higher value uh, fiduciary solutions that we provide. So it, 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 it is embedded in the strategy, it's embedded in the platform, it's embedded in our go-to-market, it's going to be embedded in our pricing. Okay. Uh, Thanks. Appreciate the color. All right. Thank you, Devin. Thank you. And our next question is from Pete Heckman with DA Davidson. Please proceed with your question. 
Hi, Pete. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for taking my question. Um, listen, I just wanted to follow up a little bit on the uh, custody opportunity. We're getting closer to that. Um, I uh, just wanted to see you know, the, the, the feedback you're getting from clients, you know, where you're getting the most interest, and, and if possible, if you can, you know, help us start to handicap or size uh, the opportunity and, and, and how that might roll on and kind of what it looks like in terms of, of you know, maybe the amount of revenue and, and, and kind of the incremental margins involved. Great. Uh, thank you, Peter. Yeah, no, it's been, um, you know, so we're continuing to uh, be leaned in, and, uh, you know, I talked about focused on priorities. Uh, one of those uh, focuses is clearly the integration work and work that we have going on with FNZ, um, which I've spoken uh, about in the past. Um, just for those of you who are not uh, completely up to speed, FNZ is a, a, a new uh, U.S. entrant, a global firm, have done a really great work at creating a, a more digital environment for the custody uh, for the custody business, and um, and we're partnering with them. We put, today we trade Peter, as you know, to the to the industry, right? So every sort of custodian or trust system that's out there, we're connected to, and our clients are able to utilize those. FNZ is another option, but it's an interesting option because in that option, it is fully digital, real time account opening, real time. Uh, exchange of data versus a batch uh, process, uh, which is how uh, much of the industry works today. Um, and in, in the relationship with FNZ, we'll be able to garner economics um, that we have not been able to participate in the past. Um, those are from a custody standpoint, but they're also from um, you know cash management and other feature sets that that come along with uh, a custody offering. Um, if you look at, you know, I, I've said this in the past, kind of uh, in the past is, hey, look, I feel very, very good about the investment position. I feel very good about the investment uh, business model. But our Achilles heel has been that we have not been able to serve cash, and that this is going to resolve that for us. And that will become a revenue generator versus assets or, or, or you know, dollars that, that, that are, are moved away to be served uh, outside of our ecosystem, so this this is this is a good opportunity for us. I would also say, and I, I think I've I've said it maybe on a uh, prior earnings calls, is I believe that the digital nature of what FNZ is doing in the marketplace will bring other firms along, and that has been the case. So as we lean in uh, with FNZ, we have very strong and very deep partnerships with the other custodians and working with the other custodians to figure out how to digitally connect to the investment um, uh, world to streamline account opening administration, et cetera, I think is all, uh, um, you know, very interesting and, and work that we're, we're, we're excited to, to engage w with those partners. Um, we, uh, you know, I think the way to think about the economics really is that, you know, if you look at a gross sale number, uh, a gross assets to flow between the Tamarack platform and the, and the InvestNet uh, platform uh, during the course of a year, you know, it, it's been running at about a trillion dollars between the between Tam Tamarack platform and the InvestNet core platform. Two hundred billion of that would be on the on the kind of the InvestNet platform. If we're able to uh, convert 10% of that, those dollars on the 200 uh, billion then you're talking about a 10 to $20 million run rate of revenue that we'll be able to generate, um, you know, uh, there. So it's meaningful. Um, it's also very high margin. 
um, you know, is, 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 is we're successful there. In the market, I would say there's been a lot of interest, and it, 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 it's one of the service uh, challenges our industry has in a multi-custody world is, hey, I've got to, I've got to operate these different ways of opening accounts and servicing, administrating. This is more turnkey. It's purely digital. It's real time, um, and, and, and you know um, that that's a promise or a or a or a perspective that has not been presented really to the advice industry uh, 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 before. And so there's there's a lot of interest. Uh, we'll we'll have early uh, successes uh, in 2024. So it's definitely a 24 story, not a 23 story. Um, and, and we'll get going, uh, you know, beginning to to build business there in, in 2024. Great, great. That's helpful. And then, you know, I assume custody is one of these buckets, but, but can you just remind us of some of the, the larger buckets of, of, of how you're thinking about returning to uh, 25% EBITDA margins by 2025? I think that's something like 400, 500 basis points. And, you know, uh, I guess how, how do you think about uh, – you know, expense controls, expense reductions versus high incremental revenue uh, in terms of, of hitting that goal. Yeah. So, you know, we, 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 um, we're gaining share. We're driving more into these high-value um, uh, solutions. Those carry higher gross net for us. Um, and as we get a normalization or restoration of some degree of flows, into uh, the wealth markets, it'll be there. There's a lot of cash on the sidelines. There's a lot of money that is waiting to be put to work. That will be, from a percentage and market share standpoint, more likely to be in the investment in environment than, than kind of uh, competing platforms. So, so we feel very good about the position that we've put ourselves in here because the work that we've done is advantage the platform, made it easier to open accounts, and to drive towards these higher value solutions. And we're using the data insights to, to really kind of motivate them. There'll be more and more adoption of those over the next couple of years. So our growth will be ahead of market. And we believe long term with a restoration, um, we, we're, we're not going to back away from this idea that we'll be a, a strong teens grower, uh, for, you know, in, in a normalized market. In the meantime, we'll grow ahead of the market and that growth will drop more meaningfully over time to the bottom line. Why? Because we're created in the investment cycle and in the modernization cycle, we've created a tremendous amount of, um, of efficiency in our operations. I'll give you an example. Last quarter, we had a, you know, one of our largest trading quarters uh, in, in our history, you know, top five or so. Uh, and, and we did that with exactly uh, flat headcount didn't add any headcount as the volumes are, are very significant. And we had 25% fewer traders. So we're, we're doing what we're doing. The scale is growing, and we're doing it on normalized lower headcount across the business, and um, we're doing it more effectively. And that you can see it in our trading. You can see it in our, our, our uh, you know, across the administrative part of parts of our business. We'll be able to do more because of the – the AI and the cloud work that we've done uh, with uh, fewer personnel costs uh, to, to, to serve the business, which will drive higher margin. And then the last thing I'd say is that I said it just before, is a focus, focus, focus on uh, prior, prioritization and focus on where we're spending money. 
And, um, you know, again, the modernization of the platform has connected our operating environments. We don't need three trading teams. We don't need three performance reporting teams. You can start to consolidate those groups into best, uh, best in the industry talent and get the real scale uh, and quality that, the, you know, that investment is known for. So, so there is, uh, you know, uh, as we normalize markets, uh, we're, we're, we're going to grow uh, the EBITDA and profitability uh, of the company. That'll, that'll be uh, delivered. And I will reiterate that the 25% adjusted EBITDA will come no matter what the top line does. Uh, we will deliver on that, that commitment to investors. And so there is the, the flexibility and room to do it. Uh, we don't want to disrupt the work that we're doing, uh, so we're very focused on executing on it, but we're also very committed to the 25% adjusted, uh, percent adjusted EBITDA. Okay. Okay, Bill. Well, thank good. It's great to hear the confidence, and, and we'll look forward to seeing that progress. Thank you. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. And our next question comes from the line of Surinder Thin with Jeffries. Please proceed with your question. Hi, Surinder. Hi, Bill. Hi. Um, I guess for the first question, I'm just trying to get a sense of you talked about having exited the investment cycle and you're now focused on the managing expenses. So as you move forward in trying to, you know, sell more of your high value add fiduciary solutions, is it just that there's a bit more hand-holding that's kind of required at this stage with clients? Is it is it a bit of a macro issue? How should we think about the dynamic of where growth is currently versus where you want it to be? Yeah, it's 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 very market-related, Surinder. So, um, you know, exiting 22, you've got, as I said, a, a, a healthier – market from a headline standpoint, you know, the returns are positive, it's green, right? Uh, but, but it's very narrow. And so when adv advisors look at it, at portfolios in a holistic way, um, and they're thinking about diversification and not concentration. And so when you're thinking about the financial advice and how it ties to a financial plan, you're, you're, you, you automatically have a, a reasonably conservative posture. On the other hand, You've got alternatives now. You've got cash yielding. You've got other fixed income kind of yields that are pretty steady, that are you know uh, uh, much uh, higher than they, they've been for more than a decade, and um, you know they're they're also safer. And so advisors are waiting for that catalyst. They're waiting for that moment where the market broadens out and they put the money to work. Now, all that said. I'm going to give you a couple of statistics. In our direct index business, which we're one of the leaders in the industry, uh, we're significantly growing um, assets, year-over-year -year growth of 41%. Account numbers are up 26% year-over-year. And advisor usage, uh, new advisors using that platform, advisors are up 47%. So in the market environment, we continue to chip away. We've broadened our footprint an opportunity set by contracting with more firms that have access to the product. Advisors are using it, six, you know, 47% more advisors year over year, but the account flow isn't all there. And I think that, that when the, the catalyst occurs, 
you're going to see the benefit, an accelerated benefit across our platform, particularly in these high-value personalized solutions, which is exactly where the market is headed, and that's how we've positioned ourselves. That's helpful. And then um, you also made a comment. I only caught part of it, so apologies if it's a, just a clarification question here. But I heard you mention something about reviewing non-core areas of the business. Can you elaborate on that, please? Sure. Thank you, Surinder. Uh, you know, we're, uh, I'd use the word focus in the, uh, you know, we're, we're focused on the wealth market. We're, we're focused on bringing the parts of our business together to, it, to, to really exert the competitive advantage that we've invested in. And that, that, is, the, that is, you know, what we've got the com company tuned into and tuned onto. That is what we're delivering and focused on. So as we go through that, uh, and you get to this stage of an investment cycle, you start to really, uh, again, the word focus. What are those areas that contribute to that mission, and what are the areas that might not really participate and not be closely, closely aligned enough from an adjacency to, to, to be focused on, to be investing in, uh, uh, the, you know, to, 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 to build markets outside of that core focus. And that, that's exactly where we're at at the moment is really doing those evaluations and thinking through, okay, what adds to the competitive long-term advantage of what we've built from a wealth uh, standpoint and what uh, is not, uh, not core. And that's, that, that's exactly what, what it is. Thank you. Uh, that's it for me. Great. Thank you, Surinder. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I would like to turn the floor back over to Mr. Bill Krager, CEO, for closing comments. Uh, thank you, Camilla. Uh, I just want, as we wrap up, I just want to again thank uh, all of my colleagues at InvestNet. You do an extraordinary job, and the work that we're doing is making a difference. Um, thank our partners, uh, thank our customers and clients uh, for your partnership. Together, we're changing the way advice is offered to millions and millions of households. I also wanted to thank our shareholders for your commitment to InvestNet, and I'm looking forward to seeing you and talking to you all next quarter. Thank you. This concludes today's teleconference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.